you know, you don't learn everything you need to know about the world or your job or your career in high school or college or even on your first job. Your career is a lot of different paths. You're gathering skills all the time and you've got to be open to that. The lifelong learning idea is very important to embrace, I think. Whatever skills are out there, try to be aware of what you need. The workforce landscape is rapidly changing, and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Executive Director of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us. You, the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together. And it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo. And this is The Future of Work. Working Nation is a nonprofit campaign and media company whose mission is to shine light on solutions to workforce issues. They focus on creating a pathway for a job seeker to a good job by employing the power of storytelling and media. Ramona Schindelheim expresses the importance of doing as we grow our careers and skill sets throughout the length of our work life. She tells us that the skill-based nature that the workforce is heading towards needs to be talked about in the media and exposed as opportunities. In this episode, we discuss the importance of flipping the script and perspective that a four-year degree is needed to acquire these high-tech jobs at large companies like Google, when in fact, you don't. Just the required skills and some great soft skills, which we often learn in places outside of a four-year curriculum. Here's Salvatrice and Ramona's conversation about the importance of storytelling, doing, and adapting. Welcome back to the Future of Work podcast. I'm here with Ramona Schindelheim of Working Nation. Good morning, Ramona. Good morning. How are you doing? Very well. So tell me, Ramona, just, you know, for our listener who is unfamiliar with Working Nation, could you share a little bit more about the mission of Working Nation and who you are and what you do? Oh, absolutely. First, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk about workforce issues and um, tell you a little bit about us. So Working Nation is a nonprofit campaign and media company, and our whole mission is to shine light on solutions to workforce issues. And We've been around for about five years now, and we tell stories. We we do um, articles. We we do live events. Uh, I have a podcast. We do videos, and it's all focused on creating a pathway for a job seeker 
to a good job and not just any job but a good job a job that could help them sustain their families etc and as i said we've been around for about five years and now in this you know covid uh 19 pandemic economy we feel like our mission is even more important now to help people connect and it's we do not create programs ourselves but we tell the stories of those those programs excellent and within working nation what is your role specifically and and what led you what led you there yeah, I'm the editor-in-chief, so I'm in charge of the journalism. I have a, a, t- a small team of writers, uh, reporters who put together articles. We're constantly look- looking for stories about, you know, what's working and what's not. And in that'll touch on education, workforce development programs from, say, a state or a city or a local region. But business leaders, we talk to them about these programs and nonprofits. So it's a combination of a lot of different players that we look at and see what they're doing. And my background is as a journalist and a writer. I've been doing it for a couple of decades now, and I've I've worked for CNBC, Wall Street Journal, ABC News, some local stations, including um, Channel 11 here locally. And I've told stories all my life. So that's how that's how I arrived where, you know, that's my background. But how I arrived here is that I was looking for a good way to use my skills to be helpful and useful to other people. And I, you know, it's no knock on the news um, business, but a lot of times you don't really get to tell meaningful stories that can change people's lives. And about three years ago, I connected with Working Nation, and I've been there ever since because I really enjoy that part of using my skills to help other people, you know, have a better life. That's right. And in looking and and working with Working Nation for the last two years and seeing the content that comes out, it's incredible the work that's being done and the stories that are being told, specifically around the programs and the trends and where we are as a workforce development hub, both, you know, working nation and and institutions like ourselves, you know, this is a, we're in a constant state of improvement around workforce needs and develop and developing programs to match those needs. Right. And I think that, you know, with your background, I, I have to believe, I have to believe that there's so many, I'm sure there's, so many accomplishments you can't count on one hand, but is there anything particular like in your journey, whether through working nation or just within your work around workforce that you treasure the most in telling that story? What would that story be? I, I would say that I, I am very proud that we are putting people in touch. I mean, it goes back to my, uh, what I told you previously, putting people in touch with stories that they may never have known about. I I use myself as an example. I grew up in the Midwest, very working class family, six kids in the family. Nobody went to college except myself. And I did that through by hook, by crook, you know, Uh, nothing illegal, but I clawed (laughs) and scratched to get through college. And I actually never graduated. I'm a senior. I always joke after all these decades, I'm a senior in college. But I knew that to do something and and do something different than, you know, just what my family had done, again, 
working class family, worked in a factory, worked in, wait, my mom was a waitress, my dad worked in a factory. We, you know, I felt like the education was really important. So I worked my way through school. I did not have a guide. I did not have a mentor. I went down many different paths until I found the right one for me, which turned out to be storytelling. Uh, turned out that I had a gift for it, but I had no mentors. And so I guess to answer your question, what I am proudest of is giving people these options, telling them about the paths that they may never had known existed before. I, I tell people, I, I've actually been back when I used an Uber, you know, before I, 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 when I used to leave the house, I would be in an Uber and I would say to someone when they would tell me that they would, you know, I just, I always ask questions, what you're doing and is this a full-time job, part-time job, what do you want to do? And I would tell them about some of the programs that they didn't know about and, you know, because it's not advertised by the media. The media does not go out and say, if you want to be a cloud computing technician or engineer, here's how you get there. High schools don't have enough guidance counselors for the whole school. If you think about it, I think most of them have like one to a thousand, you know, if, if you're in a smaller school, you're probably luckier because you might have more access. And then a lot of times the guidance counselors work with those who already have ambition, who already say, I want to go to college, and they come to the guidance counselor and say, how do I get there? Not everybody knows the pathways that are out there. So if there's one accomplishment that I take the most pride in is giving people these options and telling them about the options. And not everybody has to go to college. Not everybody has to go to community college. Not everybody has to go to a trade school. There are there are a lot of different pathways to good jobs, and we're telling people those pathways. Storytelling is, as as we all know, is the most powerful way of getting our messages across. And and your storytelling not only through Working Nation, but it sounds like even you know in your Uber rides and and anywhere you go, <laughs> right? You're sharing about hey, you know, there are programs, there are pathways, there there is opportunity to, you know, quench your curiosity around different occupations and different industries. And you're right. It's not about, you know, particularly everyone goes to a four-year institution. That, that's, that's not a solution by any means. There's some who don't do and some who do not. And it's really important to share that there are these career pathways. And how do we connect those individuals to those pathways? And when I think about what you just said, you're really kind of showcasing that there is an incredible skills gap, right? Because if, if our participants don't know that there's these opportunities and programs for them for social mobility to, you know, to create better and meaningful, you know, connections throughout their life, both in professionally and personally, that really kind of speaks to the skills gap that we've seen since 2008. I again I go back to some examples in you know my life and what I've looked at and I you know we so here we are in 2020 and you know what is what are the skills that we need are not talked about and what are the skills that we have 
are not are not talked about on a on a broader kind of mainstream basis. It's maybe they're discussed in your home, but maybe not. I, I look back at my upbringing and my parents worked really, really hard, but they did not know how to talk to me about the skills that I needed in the workforce. They did not know the pathways. So back to you know what I'm saying, I think it's very important that we talk about them. And people don't think they can afford college because it, I think the image of colleges that look in the movies, look on television is, you know, really fancy college campus and, you know, very expensive. And people don't know that, you know, their community college, they can get the skills they need. And I emphasize skills over degrees. There are so many jobs out there that are skill-based and people are hiring based on skills and not degrees. Google has stopped demanding four-year degrees, you know, for their employees. They're looking at what people can do. To give people those options and tell people about those options are very important. And people are not aware that you don't need a four-year degree to, you know, become a data analyst in a small company or that you don't need a four-year degree to be that cloud computing technician. There's so many opportunities out there. I just, I think we need to talk about that more and we need to talk about it in the media. Ramona, you live and breathe storytelling and you tell such a great story from your own personal journey and in sharing the journey of others through finding their paths in life, in workforce, in their jobs. And you mentioned over and over again that skills is what we are looking for it's not so much the degrees anymore and yes that's one potential solution i'm wondering you know in your journey of finding solutions to these skills gap or to telling the story and articulating why it's so important that we obtain skills as a method moving forward in our careers have you encountered any particular solution, um, anything powerful that you thought, gosh, you know, this was like the best story I told around addressing the skills gap that we have? There, there's one that I, I like to talk about, one program I like to talk about, because I think it kind of encompasses a lot of what you're asking. A few years ago, I'm going to I don't know the exact year, I'm going to say five or six years ago, Toyota down in a small town in Kentucky they're you know building cars building trucks in this small town in Kentucky and they're putting people to work but they find that they don't have enough advanced manufacturing technicians it's called AMT and these are the people who work on the automated line they help repair the machinery that you know, and it's high tech machinery. It's, you know, it's not just gears. There are, there's software, etc. They find they don't have enough people to do that job because they don't have the skills. So they, in the small town in Kentucky, they worked with the local community college to create a program. And the program not only skilled up workers or job seekers, they gave them on the job training. So they spent, it was a, it was a program that cost, so it wasn't free to the job seeker. But the way it worked was job seeker goes in, they get 
selected for this program. I, I think it was approximately $10,000. I'm going to, I should have looked at my notes, but I think that's, that's what it was at the time. So they th spent three days in class in a workshop training on different equipments, uh, the different parts that they needed to understand, spent two days on the line, but they got paid for that 40 hours that they put in, whether it was in the workshop or on the line. And so say an 18 year old in this small town in Kentucky goes in, they're getting paid and they're getting paid minimum wage and they make though enough to be able to pay off their tuition. And then Toyota was hiring them just out of the into the class. It was about, I think it was a year and a quarter is, is how how long it took to do this. So then they're being hired for jobs that pay $65,000 a year plus benefits. So this solution changes people's lives. $65,000 a year in the small town of Kentucky was a, a family sustaining wage. And they're graduating without college debt, went through community college to do this. And the program was so good that it was scaled up. Other companies came in and said, hey, we like this model. Let's try it. I think now there's over 400 companies that are using this model in not just Kentucky, but 10 other states. So to be able to tell this story, I it was just a really, to me, it was always an eye-opening a program because it kept people in their community if they wanted to stay there. It was scalable so it could go to other communities. It had people graduating from the program without having to go in and now have to figure out how do I pay my college debt or how do I yeah, how do I pay my tuition. And it's not just kids. It's not just this 18-year-old who suddenly says, I'm out of college or high school. What do I want to do? I went to St. Louis to see the program in action and it was a Toyota program there in uh, St. St. Louis suburbs. And one of the graduates when I was there was a 40-year-old woman with three children who had previously worked in a grocery store who said, you know, I really want to do something different. I want to do something I find interesting. And I also want to make more money. And she was one of the graduates. I always loved this program because so many other people embraced it. And I just feel that it kind of shows the power of a company working with educators to create a program that can help change a community. That's a really great story. Really great story. In fact, you know, we're seeing s similar traction here in Los Angeles with our 19 community colleges. Los Angeles is very different when it comes to community colleges because, well, there's 19 of us. <laughs> there's not, you know, one for an entire region. And, we're seeing very similar traction around programming, such as our Amazon, you know, cloud computing co uh, project, where there's uh, that was one college. of that's one of my other examples. Always, yeah, isn't yeah. That great? it's a great, it's a great, and they expanded it to Northern California last that's uh, right. fall. That's right, and you know we have these we have these wins, and as educators and industry, you know, we want to work so close together. We really do. There's no doubt about it, but. You know, sometimes I feel that as an education institution, as an educational institution, you know, there's something that's, that we're not doing. There's something that we're not doing that's, that's not bringing 
industry closer to us or us getting closer to industry. And I can't quite put my pulse on it just yet. Uh, you know, perhaps it's infrastructure, perhaps it's bureaucracy, perhaps it's a lot of things. But in your perspective, where could educators do better at connecting with our industry partners? Well, you know, I think it, it, it does take a lot of hard work. I think you have to find, I, I, you know, you have to find what industries are driving your community, where are the job needs, and you have to, it's got to be, it's almost personal connections. I, I was thinking about, yeah. you know, the Amazon Web Services story the other day, because I did see that they had expanded it again to Northern California. And that was, a lot of that was done by the local economic development group. And that said, you know, we have this need. We've talked to our, you know, employers. We've talked to our industries here and they say we really need, you know, more cloud computing technicians. So then they connected with Amazon and they connected with the community college. I think it was, I think it was Santa Monica was the, uh, was the ones lead, that, absolutely. yeah, the lead on that, on developing the curriculum. But it is talking. It is, it's like being open about what the needs are. The last thing I think educators want to do is offer courses that are not going to fulfill the needs of the students and fulfill the needs of the local businesses. And, you know, we, we need poets. We, you know, we, I always say this, we do need poets. We need comedy writers. We need uh, painters, but we also need programs that help people, again, get the skills they need that could get them a job that is family sustaining. So they could, they can either, you know, be in IT or cybersecurity, or they could be a painter, but we, we, we need those jobs. So educators need to talk. They really can't just do it in a vacuum. They do need to reach out to Maybe there needs to be a liaison, if there isn't already, that reaches out to industries and businesses in the community. And each community has different needs. So what you're doing here in the Los Angeles area may be different than Kentucky or Colorado or, you know, Peoria, Illinois, you know, it's each community has different, different needs. So I think there needs to be this outreach. But on the other side of it, I think the businesses need to come to you as well and say, we need help. We can't fill these jobs. And what people, you know, we're in a different reality kind of now um, because there are so many people out of work the newest numbers that came out today, there's a lot of people that went back who were brought back from furloughs, millions brought back. But the reality is that there's still a skills mismatch. Something didn't change overnight. You know, before COVID-19 hit, there were 7 million open jobs in the country. And one of the reasons there were so many open jobs is that the businesses were saying, we can't find the people who have the right skills. We don't have enough people with the right skills. So I think there's got to be, it's got to be a coalition. It can't be, people can't work in silos. They have to talk to each other. And what are the needs? And civic leaders, so I bring up the economic development organization here in LA area. They, they stepped in. 
they're the civic leaders, the business leaders who say, we want our community to thrive. How can we do this? Let's work with work together to figure that out. That's right. And you touched upon something really impactful and what we're feeling right now with the outcomes of this pandemic and businesses very quickly overnight had to flip their business model upside down, look at new innovative ways to continue the revenue stream with their customers, knowing that some of their customers are being laid off or, you know, losing their jobs completely. And what both the business owner saw was, Hey, now I need, I need a new type of talent. You know, this is, I need a specific talent that, that speaks to my current model in operating my business and within their, within their talent pool, right. Within their existing employees, they may have not had, they they don't have Mm -hmm. that talent. And so now that's a double edged sword. Now we're seeking out, not only are we seeking out new talent, but we're also saying that our existing talent doesn't even have it. So what we're seeing, I think if, and, and I think that you would agree with me is that, you know, some of these individuals are saying, you know what, I, I really need to go back. I need to get upskilled in a very specific area. And so they're going back to community colleges for that, maybe to stay within their own industry, maybe moving on to something different and an entirely new career. And so let's talk about that a little bit, because I think that where businesses can help the most at this time is really re- helping retain their employees by helping them upskill and, and matching their existing model that they have right now during this time of the pandemic. What do you think about all of that when it's yeah, upskilling? I, I think it's very important to emphasize what you just said. I I spoke to Joe Fuller. He's at uh, Harvard Business School, and his his professor there. His expertise is the future of work. He's a consultant. He talks to business leaders all the time, and I I talk to Joe a lot because he's really plugged in, and he he pointed out to me that businesses did that pivot really fast. You know, they had to figure out how do I deliver to my customers what they want while I have to deal with the pandemic with my own workforce? How do I keep my workers safe, but how do I continue to do my business and and serve, serve my customers? Businesses, obviously, you know, I don't think we've had a number yet on it. I'm sure a lot of a lot of businesses had to close their doors or cut back. They lost money. But the successful ones were lucky in figuring out how they could streamline their process processes and still deliver what they needed to deliver and, you know, and keep their workers safe. A lot of people moved, I think at one point, at the um, peak of this stay-at-home, stay, you know, work-from-home, over 50% to 60% of businesses had workers were working remotely. And then there were those that we we know about, the so-called essential workers, finally giving a name to the people who work really hard. But so they've, they learned how to do things more streamlined, the business leaders. So coming back, um, to give an example, back from the Great Recession, when workers started coming back, not every worker who was laid off or fired was hired back in the same job. Businesses started figuring out, well, you know what, I do need people with different skills, 
you know, they had a little downtime to figure that out. Here, it's even more accelerated because it happens so quickly. I think businesses, and Joe would back me up on this, are figuring out ways to do more with less. Doesn't mean there won't be work for people. There'll be other jobs out there, but the workers that they want to bring back are people who could maybe multitask. So even in a retail store, they want people who can multitask so they can have people who can run the cashier, do the logistics on what needs to be restocked in in their department, and then know how to order it. So instead of being just having one specific task, they'll want them to do more. And a lot of things are going handheld. You know, these devices, they're, they're handheld devices that we've seen it in stores before. They have a barcode and they can scan things. But now they're going to have not three people doing that job, but maybe one person doing that job. So you need to be able to upskill. And the business, I think, to be successful, they're going to help people get those skills. You know, they're not, I don't think they're just going to, they can't just ignore, you know, a third of the population who doesn't know how to do some of that. They're going to have to train people. We already saw that there were shortages in skilled workers in certain skills. So they are going to have to work with the community, work with colleges or online learning courses. They'll have to upskill themselves. They'll have to, maybe they have to bring in people and train them within their own company, you know, to do this. It's, I agree with you completely. And overnight is what I'm hearing is overnight. We went from, you know, very specific skill set that employers were seeking to, multi-skill sets, mm-hmm. um, which leads me to think about, you know, we literally overnight went to high touch, high tech, and we talk about that a lot now, right? Because, and, and it emphasizing exactly what you just said is, yes, we flipped the model, businesses flipped the model immediately, and they had to adapt and be resilient and re-innovate and redesign and repurpose everything about their businesses. So did the employee, right? So we're seeing that the employee, right, is now having to do that exact same thing, renovate, repurpose, redesign, you know? And the the topic around upskilling, the story around upskilling cannot be said enough, specifically during this time. And we call it the new normal. Yeah, we do. This is a reality. You know, sometimes I hesitate using the word the new normal because nothing's really normal ever in the world of of industry and academia. Nothing's really normal, you know, because because if we were normal, right, if we took the normal for me means, you know, being still okay with status quo. If that was the case, we as educators and wouldn't be doing our jobs and as industry individuals and industry wouldn't be doing their jobs either. You know, we are constantly in this state of not only improvement, but we've got to be nimble and flexible to what, you know, what's happening in the world and what are, what, what the economy is asking for. And when we think about the story around upskilling, I can't help but share, what is the silver message here? What is that one phrase, that one message that we want to say out loud to our listener right now about the value and the importance of being current and relevant with skills. And it's not just for someone who's displaced at the moment, but it's for our own career and 
that one's an easy one to answer and it's lifelong learning you know you don't learn everything you need to know about the world or your job or your career in high school or college or even on your first job your career is a lot of different paths you're gathering skills all the time and you've got to be open to that i think it's really important to self-assess right now think of the soft skills that you have and the hard skills that you have so for example you know there's probably a lot of people out there who have especially if you've had a couple of jobs you've probably learned how to solve problems on your job whether you consciously thought I have to solve that problem you've learned how to solve problems soft skills are very important you can you you're a team player you, you're collaborative you know how to solve an issue you've got experience maybe you have experiencing experience managing people uh, managing a team though you can communicate well those are very valuable soft skills that you should not downplay when you're looking for work the other part of it is the hard skills what have you done in a job that you have had before did you use Excel you know you used Word you used Excel you know how to fix your computer if it crashes and we all probably know how to do that because we've all probably done had it happen to us at home so look at that but then figure out where have you where do you need to get better at what is it that you need to perfect and I'm not even talking about career change I'm just talking about what is needed to get you know a job in the area that you want so you need to do your research and then try to find a program that will get you that certification or that credential these are valuable credentials and certifications are uh, you, we, we talked about Amazon Web Services. You get a certification from that, and it is a clue. It's a signal to the employer that you know how to do a certain thing. You know how to do the basics on setting up a you know a cloud system for a small business or a big business. You can always learn more as the job demands or learn on the job, but that gives you an advantage to some over somebody who doesn't have that kind of again signal to an employer so figure out what skills you have soft and hard figure out what are needed to get the kind of job that you want in a field that's growing is important so you need to do some research you need to be reading you need to know where they're hiring where is there a, a demand that's not getting filled and it's hard right now because of the pandemic and what it's done to the workforce but there's still those signals out there and another thing that i would suggest is i've talked to a couple of people about there there are virtual job fairs out there there are if you google virtual job fair and your the name of your community you'll see one or two probably a month maybe even more. I, I said this to somebody the other day and they Googled and they said they found five just in the time we were sitting on the computer. So there are ways to find where there's work. There's ways to find out what people are looking for, what businesses are looking for. And again, just knowing that you can control your destiny. You can make yourself job ready 
and you should embrace it and do it. I, I think about when I first started my first job as a writer was at a local news station in Chicago. I, I grew up outside of Chicago, went to school in Chicago, and got my first writing job there. And it was an all-news radio station. And I started out on a an electric typewriter. And it was, you know, it, you pull, put the paper... I I actually still have one somewhere. <laughs> That's I, yeah, I I like to keep I like to keep some of uh, the tools of the trade. Just uh, it's a little collector's item, but uh, you put paper in, you go in and you typed, and and you know you made a mistake, and so you backspaced and you know put X's in, and and then you handed the paper to, you know your the the broadcaster who read it. And you, oh, and you had to go rip wires. You've seen them in the movies. You know, you had to go rip the wires. So it was a machine that, a teletype, you know, machine that just was printing out nonstop stories from AP and UPI at the time. So there was like a manual kind of, you know, labor that was involved in that. And then eventually we got computers. And just like you look at it now, when you use your computer, you Google and you can find stories after stories. Well, this was all pushed to us. So the wires no longer were on a machine. They were coming pushed at us on our computer. That was a new technology that I had to learn. I first learned how to edit a story on a reel-to-reel where, you know, you took a razor and cut it and you put a little piece of tape on it. And then we got a digital version of that that I had to learn. You know, for a lot of people, they may not have Zoomed until, you know, the pandemic. People had to learn how to do that. We didn't have cell phones, you know, until 20 years ago, you know, and they were not as common until maybe 15 years ago. My point about that is these are technology tools that we've had to learn and to adapt with. And we're all capable of it. We're not incapable of learning something new. As we get older, we have to learn something new to adapt to society as it changes. So I wish people would look at that and use that as a as a marker and say, hey, I can learn a new skill. I learned it by doing, you know, in my own life. Or maybe I learned it on my job. And I give my example as a writer, and I've worked in a lot of newsrooms and and learned how to do all that. I now, I can edit on my laptop. I I record my own podcast on my own laptop and then edit it. We learn by doing and we learn by adapting. So the lifelong learning idea is very important to embrace, I think. And it doesn't mean you're 40 and you're doing it. You could be 20 and you're doing it. Whatever skills are out there, try to be aware of what you need in technology because technology touches practically every every job out there. Whether you're a cashier at a gas station or you're working in a grocery store or you, you start your own business, everything has technology as part of it. That's That's what we need to do. That's what we all need to do is to adapt to it and not just look at the skills that we were taught in one program somewhere because those get you in the door what gets your career to grow is the ability to change as the the job changes 
Thank you. I mean, what I heard from that is being able to adapt, being able to be relevant, and being able to be nimble throughout Absolutely. the journey. Right? I have to say, by the way, that this has been awesome. <laughs> this is really <laughs> awesome to talk to you and to hear your story because you have really showcased to us the value and the importance of not only what we just heard about being uh, being able to adapt, being able to be relevant and being able to be nimble, but also that education plays, educa- education is tied throughout. And there's a lot to be said about doing it and learning while you're doing. Absolutely, no doubt about it. You mentioned something earlier on that educate you knew at the very early age that education was the way to do it. Yes, we learn by doing, but also that education played a role. It was one of the many elements to your success. And so if there is one piece of advice that you would give to aspiring writers, editors, and media experts, what would that be for our listener? I would say if you want to be a writer and you want to be a storyteller, you need to do it. I mean, that's that the um, you can learn basics and you should. I, I'm, I'm going to be totally honest that I was the worst high school student when it came to English. I could not write a paper to save my life. Can I tell be- you how refreshing that is to hear that? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's so it's true. Terrible. It was my worst subject. My best subject was math. I was a straight A math student. And I, I could that. not write a, a, a paper at all. I, I did not know how to do it. And what I what I learned was what I learned in school still wasn't good at the end of the you know classes, but I learned the basics. I think you you have to you you have to have someone to teach you those things. You can't learn them on your own. But what you can do is perfect it on your own. So you have to be a writer. You have so if you want to be a writer, you have to learn the basics. And if it's a class that does it or a good course online, whatever it is, you have to have that basics. But to be a really good writer is you have to do it. And you have to listen to people, hear their story, and then try to translate it so it can resonate with other people. I I think that our work at Working Nation, the reason... I am so proud of it and our team is so proud of it is, we, you know, we do all have histories of telling stories, but we do try we try to find the personal part of the story and tell that because people relate to it. So learn the skills and then, then you know, use them. And you want to talk about editors is again, do you, are you talking about, you know, writing editors? How do you edit people's papers or or that or are you talking about jobs as a video editor i mean those you have to get some skills you have to get some training on that but again you learn it by doing it i learned how to edit on my laptop i learned how to edit videotape by taking courses through lydia which is now i think owned by uh microsoft or linkedin yes okay i learned the basics through that and the only way I got better at it was by doing it, though. So it's a combination of hard education, uh, you know, just very basic skills teaching, and then by doing it. That's that's how you learn anything, I think. That's how you're good at anything. That's right. This has been such a pleasure, Ramona. And 
what a great way to conclude the interview and with that message of you can't learn on your own, but you can perfect it on your own, I think says it all, right? It says it all about um, who we are as individuals, both personally and professionally. Now, where can people find you? I welcome everybody to check out workingnation.com. I practically live there these days, I like to say. There's a lot of stories that touch on a lot of articles, a lot of videos that touch on what we've talked about in the podcast, and a lot of resources in those stories. We previously talked about resumes. There's information in those articles about how to you know, work on your resume, virtual job fairs, programs that can help you upskill and different career paths that you can take. So WorkingNation.com. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast presented by Pasadena City College. If you'd like to get involved and have resources to share or be a guest on the show, you can find a link to our webpage in the show notes. Also, don't forget to subscribe and tell us your thoughts about the show. You can look forward to new episodes weekly every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts.